Today, I want to talk about a simple resolution that I think we can all kind of grasp <clears throat> and get on board with for this new, this new year. Um, probably have told you the story before, but it's a, it's a funny one. I enjoy it quite a bit. But have you you've probably heard about the man who moved into a retirement community to spend the rest of his life there? It wasn't long until he made a number of friends among the other residents. And then there was uh, one lady he was specially attracted to, and she was attracted to him also. So they spent a lot of time together, and finally, one evening, he proposed, asking her to marry him. And the next morning, he woke up remembering his proposal, but he couldn't remember her answer. So, <laughs> so he went to her, and, 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 and he said, I'm really embarrassed. I proposed to you last night, but I can't remember if you said yes or no. And uh, she said, oh, thank goodness. I remembered saying yes, but I couldn't remember who asked me. <laughs> Sometimes we feel that way about New Year's resolutions. We can't remember them. What did we plan? What was it that we were going to do this year? We tell ourselves, this year I'm going to turn over a new leaf or I'm going to exercise regularly and lose weight, right? That's a big one. I'm going to do all kinds of things to improve myself physically and spiritually. And you plan these things, and then some, something happens between January 1st and February 1st, and all of a sudden you kind of forget what you plan to do and promise to do. Somehow we forget. So I have a suggestion for a New Year's resolution that we ought to be able to remember. Pretty simple it's kind of a uh, broad and very general, but, but this is what it is. Let's, let's promise ourselves and also God that we will make a change for the better. In 2019, as God's people, as His church, let's make this one simple resolution. We're going to make a change for the better. That's all. Simple as that. And that can encompass a lot of things for you if you want to break it out and you know, line up some good lists there for you to follow. But really, if you keep it simple, we're going to make a change for the better. And to help us do that, uh, let me suggest some ways in which we can make a change for the better. First of all, I believe each of us can make a change for the better by developing a positive outlook toward life. Positive outlook toward life. A few years ago, a lady committed suicide. Leaving behind this note, it said, I decided that unless life was worth living, I would just quit living. She didn't think, she didn't think it was worth living at all. How do you feel about your life? Is it worthwhile? Or, or let me change the question a little bit. What would it take for you to feel that your life is worthwhile? On a scale of 1 to 10, and 10 being like, it's, it's incredibly worthwhile, and 1 being like, maybe this note, maybe a 0, maybe this note. Where do you fall in the place? What would it take for you to feel that your life is worthwhile? What would it take to move it from a, a 4 to a 5 on that scale? What would it take to move it from a 6 to a 10 on your scale? What would it take for you to, to feel like your life is worthwhile? What would have to happen to make you feel really positive about your life? Maybe if you won the lottery, would that make your life you feel pretty positive about your life? What, would that do it? If your marriage suddenly was all patched up, would that do it? 
If your kids began to make you proud, or if you got a promotion, would that do it? Make your life feel like it's worthwhile? What would it take for you to really feel positive about your life? Now, if that's the way you're thinking, then you'll probably never really feel positive about life anyways, because all the little pieces that must come together to make you positive about life will probably never be there. It will be a, an endless grasping of trying to feel good about things because your surroundings, your circumstances, they're going to change. They're going to go downhill, and they're going to go uphill, and they're going to be all over the place. And if we focus on the things around us, if we focus on the externals, we're going to be on a roller coaster ride that's going to be pretty uh, sickening. So this is the reason we're looking at Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. If you haven't turned there yet, please do so. Philippians chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 12 through 14. And before I read it to you, you need to realize from this writing, you probably already do and you, as you studied this, Paul is in prison. He's chained to a Roman guard. And he's under horrible, horrible conditions. Yet despite all of that, he writes these wonderfully positive words. Follow along with me. Verse 12, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now stop for a moment and ask yourself, what is, what is Paul trying to grab? What's, what is he trying to grab hold of in this situation, in this portion of Scripture? If you look back in verse 10, Paul tells us, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. So what is he reaching for? What is, what is his goal? Paul's goal is the, resurrection, is the resurrection from the dead. His goal is eternal life with Jesus. That's what he's grabbing after. It's what he's reaching for and it's what he's striving for every day. His goal is heaven. That is his end game. Now, here's the point. If our goal is heaven, if our goal is eternal life with Jesus Christ, then all these little setbacks in life are only stepping stones getting us closer to the time when we will be with Jesus. Every day that goes on for us and the good and the bad and the ugly that happens is just the next day that will get us closer to that point where we will one day be able to walk the streets of gold face to face with God, reunited with loved ones who've gone on before us. One more day. There will be disappointments in life. Trust me, there will be. But every day that passes is one day closer to the time when we will be with Jesus. If that is our goal, then Romans 8 verse 28 is very true. All things do work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. The world says that the way to feel good about yourself is by climbing the ladder of success, by making a lot of money, by having influential friends, 
by receiving a, a lot of awards, and by belonging to the right circles. Maybe having uh, as many likes as you can on your Facebook or your Instagram or whatever it might be, your posts. Those are the things that make you feel good about yourself. But the Bible teaches us that we are to feel good about ourselves because God loves us. That's why we should be feeling good about ourselves. You are such a treasured person in God's sight that He gave His only begotten Son for you, for me. That makes you valuable. And you can feel good about yourself. It's not the external stuff. Although those things can be fun at times, or they can be pretty awful at times as well. The constant in your life is Jesus. The constant in your life is God. God loves you. And nothing is going to separate you from the love of God. Yeah, keep that in mind. That is the constant. And that's why we should be feeling good about ourselves. God loves you greatly. Frank Peretti said, It's no wonder that our young people today have poor self-images when they go to school and read books that tell them that they are the products of blind chance, that they are just accidents of nature, unplanned, unloved, and unwanted. But the Bible tells us differently. The Bible tells us that we are wanted, that we are loved, and that we are cared for by God Himself. You know, there's, sometimes there's days that we might feel that way about ourselves, that we are just going, we're, we're just scum of the earth, can't believe what I did today, can't believe what I was thinking, can't believe what I said, whatever it might have been. But through that situation, you always have the underlying current that God still loves you. <laughs> God loves you dearly. Jim Volvano, he was head coach, North Carolina State basketball team. He rose to fame when his team started winning championships, and everybody liked him. He was always cracking jokes and had a winning way of dealing with people. But in 1991, Volvano learned that he had inoperable bone cancer. During Christmas time in 1992, he said, It's difficult to be thankful this Christmas because I'm not sure I'll be here next Christmas. And he wasn't. He died in 1993. He said this, he said, but this Christmas, I'm getting down on my knees and thanking God for every day of the 46 years of my life. He was positive about life because he realized that life is a precious, very precious gift God has given us. It must sadden the Lord that oftentimes we take this gift he has given and don't treasure it for the precious thing that it is. Every day, every day we should be reminded of the precious gift you are to God and the precious gift that He has given you, life, life. To do what you want with it, of course, you've got the choice, but He would love for you to glorify Him with your life. He would love to be able to use you for His glory, to be able to influence other people for the Lord. To let them know what they can have as well. That relationship with Him. He would love to be able to draw you close to Himself and remind you of how precious you are to Him. 
You need days like that. Days like that where you allow the Savior just to come and wrap His arms around you. Be able to be reminded of how much you are loved. If we want to make a change for the better in 2019, we need to develop a positive outlook on life. Secondly, I think we need to have a positive attitude toward the church. Now, I don't say this in a self-serving way, of course, because one thing that is right about the church is that our desire is simply to lift up Jesus, to reach out to a lost and dying world with a message of salvation. Yet at times, yet at times, people criticize the church. They say things about the church. For instance, they might say the church costs too much. We spend too much money. Why are we spending money on this type of thing? We are always worrying about how much something costs. In Matthew 26, there is an interesting account of something that happened as Jesus ate with his disciples. If you remember, a woman brought a jar filled with expensive perfume, broke it, and anointed his head with the perfume. Immediately, some of the disciples criticized the waste, saying that the perfume should have been sold and the money given to the poor. But Jesus defended her, saying, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. You see, we have a different value system than the world. The world would consider something waste that we consider valuable. The world thinks you're wasting your time going to church, wasting your time here. Why would you come, sit in the pew, and be with people like this and hear from a Bible and person who's standing up in front of you and go home, and you're just going to feel worse about yourself anyway because you heard about God's Word and what He doesn't want you to do and all that. You're wasting your time. Wasting your time. You wanted to hear about God, though. You wanted to come and hear about God and Jesus Christ, and, and the world thinks that's a waste. When the world looks at your tax return and sees that you gave away 10%, 15%, 20%, whatever of your income to build the kingdom of God, it would call that a waste too. But the things the world calls wasteful today are probably the only things that will last for all eternity. Remember, when the woman poured the perfume on him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And we need to understand that when we risk something for God, we could lose. It's a risk. We could lose. We have won the big battle already. The battle has already been won because Jesus went to the cross and he died for us. That's been taken care of. But we might lose some skirmishes along the way. Because Satan is still the prince of this world, and there are a lot of uh, things going on that are not God's will. But I would rather be trying something great for God and fail than be playing it safe and succeed. I think this year coming up for 2019 for Happy Valley, there's some things that we could be doing that could be risky. Do I have anything in mind to share with you right now? No. But you know, if we don't take some risks and step out on faith, we won't have the great adventure before us and how God will fulfill those things and God will come in 
and provide and see Him work in our lives. You probably individually have some things this, this year to come that could be a little risk-taking for you as well. Step out on faith. Take those steps and see how God is going to direct, how He's going to guide. Maybe it's going to be an occupational change in your life. Maybe it's going to be a change in some other way. I don't know what it might be for you. Only you can anticipate that, sense that, as God is leading you in this. All I say is for you to be obedient to His promptings. And He can be, actually, God can be the one who leads us in those risk-taking moments. Trust Him. Trust Him in those moments. He knows what He's doing. He knows what you need. He knows what you can handle. He won't give you more than that. John Wesley was a great English preacher of the 1700s. He was considered a rather uh, spiffy dresser, if you will. And uh, one Sunday morning, he wore a bow tie that had long ribbons that hung downward. After the sermon was over, a lady walked up to him and said, Brother Wesley, are you open to some criticism? He said, I guess so. What would you like to criticize? She said, well, the ribbons on your tie are entirely too long and inappropriate for a man of God. And she took out her scissors and cut them off. A hush fell over the people standing there as Wesley calmly asked, Now, may I borrow the scissors for a moment? As she handed them to him, he said, Ma'am, are you open to some criticism? She answered, Well, I suppose I am. He said, All right then, please stick out your tongue. Sometimes we need to be careful when we're criticizing other people that we hold our tongue. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul tells us that we need to speak the truth in love. If there's something there that's going on, we need to be ready to speak it in love. Yes, it might be something to address, but be ready to speak it in love. When we do that, then we can probably guide that person a little bit better than just blurting out what needs to be said and don't worry about how it's being said. Criticism can happen. Criticism about what you're doing in your life. Why are you going to church? Why are you doing this? How come you're doing these things? Why is it that you value meeting together like that? What is church all about anyway for you? You can be criticized in a lot of different ways. But we need to make sure that if we are returning a criticism in some way, we need to make sure it is the truth, but we also need to be sure that we are speaking it in the spirit of love. If there's some criticism that needs to go on among us within the church body, we need to make sure that it is the truth that we're going to be speaking, and it needs to be the truth in love. Those two things, when that happens, I think we will be in good shape. We will be disappointed by others. And if we approach opportunities for criticism, let's be sure to speak the truth in love. So if we want to make a change for the better in 2019, we need to develop a positive outlook on life, as well as a positive outlook towards the church, how we speak to one another. And thirdly, and finally, 
we need to display a positive attitude toward others. Robert Schuller wrote this. He said, It would amaze us how many people we could influence for Christ if we would just treat people nicely. <laughs> I think he's right. If we just treat people nicely, it would be incredible how we can influence others for Christ. This is a, this is a hard, hard world, a world that doesn't always exercise courtesy, a world that really is going a totally different direction than what God says. When that happens, it's tough sometimes to come alongside and be positive towards other people. Now, I'm not talking just about people within the church, but people around us, in our communities. And you just think, watch the news for a little bit. You'll be yelling at it. What are you thinking? That was a dumb thing to do. Yeah, well, they deserve that. You know, all these things. Having a positive attitude toward others is going to take work because they won't be thinking like you. They won't have the values you have. They'll be different. And we need to adjust to that. Sometimes, you know, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. People are jockeying for positions as well on the, on the freeways, <laughs> as well as in their companies. And they're filled with all kinds of stress and anxiety, trying to get on top, trying to move ahead, try to have a positive attitude towards those people. It's difficult. But the church must be a place where we all can come and be accepted and loved and encouraged and built up. This place should be that kind of place. You should also have that going on within your own home, a place where people can realize this is a safe place. This is a place where it can be built up, it can be loved, I can be encouraged. Maybe you also, too, want to be that kind of person. Not just have it a structure, church, or your house, but a person known for these things, that you love people, that you encourage people, that you build people up. You probably have people like that in your life. And you're going, wow, you know, it's great spending time with them because I feel so encouraged, I feel so loved. Yes, you do, because they do those things to you. Wouldn't it be great if you could be also that type of person? A person that would be bringing that encouragement and that love towards others. No matter where they're at. And that's the key thing. Sometimes we want to go ahead and have the conditional love or encouragement going on. Where we go, well, until they come to where I'm at. Until they come to my kind of thinking. If they forsake all those things that they're not supposed to be doing, then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll love them uh, once they do all that. I'll encourage them once they do all that. Set that aside. That's for God to handle in their lives. That's for the Holy Spirit to speak in their lives about. Why don't you just be the conduit of God's love? Why don't you just be the conduit of God's encouragement to that person? No matter what. You don't have to agree with what they're doing. You don't have to agree with their lifestyle. But you sure can love them. You sure can encourage them. I believe there's a, a, a place for that in our lives. But I think also, too, here within this body, this church body, I believe this could be a place where um, we can carry each other's burdens. We can make everyone feel welcome. We can open up those doors. And when people come to service, when people come to uh, Bible study, or whatever it might be, that they feel welcomed, that they enjoy being here, 
Now, there's some people I know of, there's some people who think that they walk inside a church, the whole thing's going to crumble down on them, or God's going to strike them with lightning because they're so awful. I think they need to feel loved. I think they need to feel like this would be a place where they come inside, the walls aren't going to crumble in on them. If anything, people are going to come around them with God's love and show them how much they are loved, no matter where they're at. Remember the one, uh, the one of our core values as a church is to provide a safe place that promotes hope and healing for all. I'm not going to go on more about that because we're going to hear more about that later on. Mike Grimm's going to be giving a message about that next Sunday, and he's going to be sharing about the, that and what that looks like uh, with that core value. But you see, though, if we treat each other with love, then wonderful things will happen for the kingdom of God. So this new year, let's make sure that we display a positive attitude toward others. And when Terry Bradshaw was inducted into the Football Hall of Fame, he mentioned other players who had played with him and said, this honor would mean nothing to me at all if I didn't have people like that who loved me. Coming alongside and helping him. I got to tell you as well, too, your pastor is, is all that he's going to be from how you have loved him and his family and encouraged him. And I want to thank you for the encouragement and the love that you've given me. Because as you do that, you are, you are building this pastor up to be stronger and to seek out how to serve you even more. If you will, it's a vicious cycle, right? It's got to start somewhere, and it continues on. So that's uh, we need to find a place, and a, a starting point, if you haven't yet, to be that in a person's life. Have that positive attitude towards someone else. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. They're going to lead us in a few songs. And as they do, let me share, you, share with you a couple other things here. First of all, people need people. It, it's just, it, it's, it's something. People need people. But more than that, people need positive people to be a constant positive influence in life. You can get some people around you that aren't doing that, and you can go the wrong direction. But we need people who are a constant positive influence in life. A change for the better can happen in this new year. Change where I'm going to be positive as, as, as I look at my life. I'm going to be positive as I look at the church. I'm going to be positive as I look at others. And may I suggest that as this resolution filters down into every segment of your life, that 2019 will be one of the best years you have ever had. And as you live each day of it, you will get closer and closer to the goal, the heavenward prize that Paul talks about, to be with Jesus. We are, we are a year closer to heaven than we were this time last year. Everything is on course, moving, moving ahead, and we need to trust the Lord and love Him and place our lives in His hands and allow Him to use us for His glory. If you are here today, though, without Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, then you have an opportunity to make a change for the better right now. 
on this last Lord's Day before the new year, you can receive Him as Lord and as Savior, and you live your life as a thank offering for Him. So I invite you to come to the altar. If you need to have time of prayer in some way, if God has pointed out something in your life that you need to give over to Him, as you view this new year to come, trying to make it better than the year before, uh, allowing God to use you in many ways and having that happen, I invite you to come to pray at the altar. Come to the altar. And pray that you will respond to God's promptings as we uh, sing these next few songs.